Welcome to the Shiny Brightly Show. I'm Howard Brown, author, speaker, Silicon Valley entrepreneur, international peacemaker, and yes, two-time stage four cancer patient survivor and advocate. Each episode will take you from resilience to hope and a whole lot more because Shining Brightly does make the world a better place. Be prepared to be inspired. Hello and welcome to Shining Brightly. This is Howard Brown, your host, your maestro with the mic. I am excited to uh, to talk to you today. I have to tell you, I've got a little bit of man crush and fandom going today. We have Maggie Cook. I Oh my God, I got introduced to her a couple of years ago. I follow everything she does on uh, social media because she is my inspiration. Uh, because what your story, you're going to hear of her, what she overcome and how successful she is now and how she gives back is in such alignment with me. And I'm so glad you're here, Maggie. Thank you for coming on Shining Brightly today. You're very welcome, Howard. Oh, and she's so humble too. Well, Maggie, I'm going to actually share a screen right now because I want people to hear um, your introduction and get a feel for you. So my audience hears you. So we're going to do a shared screen right now. And let me do that and bring it on. And we're going to play your bio intro and we're going to share that. So people on listening, you'll hear it. If you're on video, you'll see it. My name is Magdalena de la Cruz Cucarcia. I am the founder of Maggie that I started with a gift of $800 when I was homeless and a company that sold a Campbell's soup in 2015. When I first tasted Maggie Salsa, I was blown away. It was awesome product. I could tell it was fresh. I could tell it was made with quality ingredients and knew that it would be a great product for Walmart. I am from Mexico and this was life in an orphanage. And yes, these are my 68 brothers and sisters. Ever since I can remember, I mostly worked in construction digging ditches, cutting trees, and gathering topsoil from the mountains. At times, we had no food for weeks, so some of my brothers and I resorted to hunting with our bare hands. We basically hunted at night using spotlights and nets to catch our prey. When I was about six years old, I started digging caves in sides of mountaintop canyons. These were my secret hiding places to rest. This was a way to try to escape, to cope with the things that I saw and lived. As a way out of the orphanage, I pursued basketball and got recruited in high school to play for the Mexican national team, but I broke my collarbone. My ticket out was months later when I got recruited to play basketball for the University of Charleston, and that's how I came here. I learned to play basketball really good by covering my eyes with the help of an orphan kid named Pancho. We found Pancho in a dumpster as a baby. He couldn't walk because he had spinal bifida, and my job was to carry him everywhere I went. When I graduated college, I couldn't find a job and I became homeless. I ended up living in the streets and also in the woods in a nearby forest. But to be honest, I didn't even know that I was homeless because that's how I lived most of my life. In 2004, I started my salsa company with a gift of $800 when my friends entered me into a salsa contest. I won the contest and I had an aha moment. I started my business and it grew very, very fast. My products sold in 38 states to supermarkets like Walmarts, Whole Foods, Sam's Clubs, and many more companies carried my products. 
Shortly after my company was sold to Campbell's, I went back to Mexico and helped save 31 orphan children who were in grave danger. Some of them were victims of sex trafficking. We later were able to involve the federales in the military in the continuous pursuit of the safety of these kids. The best type of giving currency is not money. It is the willingness to give your life in the service of others. Never take for granted one single moment of your life. Change starts now. Oh my God, you take my breath away. Plus, you, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I play basketball and it's my happy place. That's how I recovered from cancer by oh, getting back on the basketball court. And so we have that in common. We're going to have to go shoot hoops, Maggie, you know, yes. sometime down the road when we get together. Oh, my goodness. I have to tell you, I, I love that introduction. And you just are living values. You, you've had a lot of tough times uh, in, in your life. And um, you've never forgotten those. And so tell, tell me what you're doing now. Uh, you, you told me that um, you're, you're speaking and, and you have a, a specific talk that's your, uh, your purpose is you. Tell, tell, me, tell, me, tell me how that all originated now and, 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 and where, where you're trying to take people. I think that everyone who is in this time and space has a purpose and a lot of us go through life without really knowing or, under, or understanding what that is, and we feel lost. And I think that when we take the time to find out, to figure out why are we here, what's the reason that we were born in this time, then we can begin to discover and live a life that's truly fulfilling for us and also a life that truly makes a difference and an impact in the world that you live. And my purpose is you, or your purpose is you, uh, came about because, um, you know, I, I I really believe that every person should should know that about themselves. Like my purpose, you know, with even with my salsa company, um, if people ask me, you know, what's your secret recipe? My secret recipe is me, right? Because I'm the the one, the originator. But it really started when I was eight years old, and I was in the orphanage and. My caregiver, who was a doctor, he was giving medical attention to the poor on a Sunday. And this uh, mother came in with her kids and and he treated them and then they were about to leave. And I remember him grabbing me and saying, do you know how I can tell they're so poor? And I said, no. And he said, because look at their hair. It's so thin and yellow. Look at their bellies. They're, they're malnourished. Look at their feet. They don't have any shoes and they have calluses from walking in the dirt and the, the, the stone. And he says, that's how I know that they're very, very poor. And then he kind of grabbed me and squeezed my head. And he says, I never want you to be that bad. And so I remember that he left to give him some money for like a taco. I remember him saying something about a taco, get a taco and money for the bus fare. And I remember looking up to the sky and, and thinking, I'm going to do and be something bigger than myself. And 
that's when I realized that that was my purpose was to do something bigger than myself, but I just didn't know what, because I was eight years old, stuck in this orphanage. And that was my life. But at that time, I began to use my mind to get me out of the suffering state that I was experiencing, because sometimes we would go without food for two weeks or three weeks. And I became a hunter and we would hunt at night. I still have the my original knife that I used to hunt with. And um, I remember I dug a cave and it was my secret hiding place where I would meditate. And I didn't even know I was meditating until I read it in books later here in America. But um, that's where it really started. And the really profound understanding that everybody has a purpose and that purpose is you. It's not a product or service. It's you who becomes that product and service eventually to to. So everything starts with you, the fire, the the shining brightly, as you say, starts within you. And that's where that comes from. Well, I have to tell you, you, you overcome a lot and um, you've had some, you know, you grew up on the orphanage and you, you had to learn to hunt and it's a lot for a young child uh, to uh, see this, but you, you're in your surroundings. So you maybe don't know because uh, you have nothing to compare it to. And you watch this other family come in and they were worse off even a little bit than, than you were. And it looks like you found your spot being basketball. Basketball became a place that you could focus and you were, it's a team sport and it teaches you discipline and, and you became pretty good at it as well. Uh, do you remember your coach? Do you have a specific coach? Actually, I'm going to be very honest with you. I start, I, I discovered basketball and it was something new in Mexico the big sport was soccer, soccer right. and I started, I remember in, in junior high school, it was the first time that we actually left the orphanage to, to be in the city, to go to school. Cause we did the rest of the previous years in the orphanage. And I remember passing by the principal's office and looking at his, his TV. It was like a little black and white, really long TV. And I saw Michael Jordan play. And I asked if I could come and watch while, while on breaks. And he said, yes. And I learned all my moves from there because the physical education teacher that we had didn't even know how to dribble a basketball. <laughs> right. So wow. I just taught myself and became very good. And then I got recruited to play for the Mexican national team. And that was and, my team out of there. And you got, yeah, right. And then you got to the university of Charleston and yes. um, uh, you recovered, I'm assuming from your shoulder dislocation yes. and you got to play and you played college basketball. Yes. Uh -huh. It's incredible. Um, it's um uh, that that that's amazing, and you couldn't have predicted that. You didn't know that that was no. going to be your your way out. And so then, after college, you actually uh, and you say it in the video that you actually had a period of time where you were homeless. Yes, I well, I want to say that when I broke my collarbone, my my caregiver, who is a doctor, also told me that my dreams were over. Oh. And at that time, I was we were waiting for three months for the Mexican national national team to call us back. And the day that I broke my collarbone and he told me that I was like, no, even though I had a few tears, I said, if, if not this, then something better. Because even though three days later, when the Mexican national team called and I couldn't go, it, I still felt crushed. But I think it was four, five, six months later, we went on a tour in the, to the United States on a bus and we got invited to a picnic. And if I hadn't played in that day, that picnic. Because my father, my caregiver told him, told me my dreams were over. I would, wouldn't be speaking to you today right. because I said to myself, if not this, then something better. I don't know how, 
but I believe that something better is going to happen to me. And that's sort of the mentality of entrepreneurship that I've had since the beginning. And because of that, I got recruited to play basketball for the Mex- for the um, the University of Charleston, uh, and that's how I ended up here. Yeah, but you you never gave up, um, even in the worst of times. And um, I mean, you built up this resolve. That's all I can call it. It's just this human resolve because of so much what you've had to overcome. Um, I, I've had to, this is a burning question. Did you even know how to cook? How, how did you, how did salsa, how did you make this amazing salsa? And uh, I did, uh, how did you, where did that come from? Where did the origins of that come from? So salsa came about in the later years when I was in the orphanage, when we had more resources to buy produce. And, and then I, I got the recipe from one of the villagers and I would make salsa and for in the orphanage for the orphanage but when I was in college I used to make it for my friends and my friends told my teachers and my teachers had me bring it to class so it was a very popular thing so when I graduated college I couldn't find a job and it was interior design my my degree in West Virginia and I became homeless but one of my um, friends from college entered me into a salsa contest and that's how I won the the contest and that was my aha moment to begin that journey of making fresh salsa and you know being an interior designer i had i i had no idea that was going to happen but i was hungry for something because i was set to prove my father wrong who told me that i would never amount to anything <laughs> that's okay that's that's motivation that's one type of motivation oh yeah yeah absolutely it was motivation but it was based on fear which only gave me so much success and i feel like when i realized that fear couldn't be part of my success. That's when I broke the ceiling and became even more successful in selling my company to Campbell's Soup with Garden Fresh for $231 million. And, and you had you had other people trying to buy this your company for a lot less. And oh you, my you, gosh. You held, you, you held on it. You, yes. you, you didn't just give in to the first uh, offer that came through. That takes a lot of discipline. And yes. um but uh, you had to kind of learn and grow with the company. It, it, it happened very quickly. Yes. Yes. It started in 20, 2004. And um, by 2000, and I was just doing, you know, for friends and making about 250 pounds of salsa a week. And then I started doing cold calls to supermarkets. And I remember getting like 90 rejections and I was checking them off. And then I decided to flip the list upside down to reach out to the largest supermarket and that was Whole Foods. I called them. I was I was like telling myself, I hope they don't answer because I was so scared to pick up the phone and call. And I left a message. The next day they called me and they wanted to meet me. And I went to Whole Foods and that made the rest history because they their first order order was for 10,000 pounds of salsa. And and that that took my company that year from twelve thousand dollars a year to one point nine million dollars a year, with just Whole Foods. And now everybody that said no to me was were, were calling me <laughs> to have because. And the thing is, the people don't understand that when you have a really good product and it's a niche product and it's not known in the market, the market will resist you because they don't know about it. Right. But I knew that it, it was special because people tried it and they just kept ordering it. And so I had to be resilient relentless and resourceful in the way that I'm going to keep moving forward because I'm not going to stop short of gold here. I'm going to continue to, because I, I feel like this is something that could go big and it did. And it, I, I almost gave up because I was alone. Nobody else would help me uh, being a Latina 
in America and um, there's there's a lot of uh, disadvantages, but I didn't really think that way back then. I just didn't think that I had the support, um, but I just kept moving forward until I broke the ceiling and and the rest was history. <laughs> You're an amazing case study for resilience and success and entrepreneurism. So I this you may not know about me, but I'm a past trustee of Babson College, the number one school for entrepreneurial studies, and they they focus on entrepreneurship of all kinds and family business, and their niche are actually still today, women-owned businesses only get around uh, 2% of the funding um, that men businesses get. And wow. so they have the Center for uh, Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership called Sewell. And um, I, I'm going to get you to speak there because uh, you, you, you are such a role model um, to everyone. <laughs> and so um, one of the things that I, I want you to speak on is that because what you did next was you decided to give back. You went back to the orphanage, okay, that you grew up in and you you started to make lives better there. And it's talked about in the video a little bit, but something that I picked up on, using giving as a currency, can you can you speak to how, how that came about? Because you didn't owe anybody anything at mm -hmm. all. You, yes. you, you, you did it the hard way and you worked really hard and uh, tell us about that experience of going back, um, you know, as a real successful, uh, you know, entrepreneur and you sold your company and, and now you wanted to give back. Just giving yes. as a currency. Philosophy. Yes. When I was growing up, we would get donations from the U.S. for the orphanage. And we never really saw that because they were allocated elsewhere. We were given elsewhere. That's why we suffered so much. And when I tell people to give, you know, it doesn't have to be money. It can be time. It can be resources. If you want to give money, that's fine. I have a foundation right now in Mexico called Matthew 2533. And we don't give money. We give things because I know the kids will get it. And we know that young adults who are struggling with drug addiction will get those things. It's totally different. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to give money to make a difference in the world. You know, All you have to do is use your voice. Maybe plant a seed. Help someone in some way that... Sometimes it becomes a ripple effect. Somebody else sees you doing an act of kindness and they in turn do it to, for someone else. And that's just giving me chills speaking about it because that's really the humanity of the soul of giving and making a difference is to having to know that, that yes, you don't have to be very, you know, you don't have to give money, a lot of money to make a difference. You can make it for me being in the orphanage and, rescuing those 31 orphan children from the drug cartel was I was giving my life because at one point I thought I was going to die. We were outside of one of the rooms. We kept all the kids inside and we were told that, that 50 cartel members were on their way. And I had just one gun and my other brother had another gun. And we were out there like, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm probably going to die tonight. So we were scared, but we, um, we did some things like let people know then the the uh, peasants, the the campesinos from around us that we were armed and ready, even though we just had like two guns. But I also did a lot of things with the um, federales, the federales in Mexico in the military. And I asked if we could get support if anybody came and eventually they came oh. and, and helicopters and everything, which was amazing. But um, for me to give my life.
I would do it over again. Oh. See those kids? Because you have no idea what I saw and how destroyed some of these kids, four-year-old boys and girls, five-year-old boys and girls were and the conditions they were. So yes, I would do it again. And I'm not afraid to die because I know, I know that what I'm doing is for something that saves souls. And so that's what I mean by that type of giving. So Maggie, I want to tell you that um, I've been called this and um, this guy, Roger Babson, who started Babson College has been called this, but I'm going to, I'm going to label you now as an angelic troublemaker. You have this mission and this will that uh, to, to bring others forth and make a better life for uh, which you did for yourself, but for others. And that is you're, you're an angel on this earth. And this is why I, I consider you such a role model and a hero to many, but to me personally, because I would hope that I can model things. Now, I've not been faced with cartels <laughs> or, or had to actually have a gun, but I, I've been faced with death twice. And, and um, I will tell you that one of the, you, you talk about 68 brothers and sisters in the orphanage with you. My, my wife, Lisa, I met her in um, California after cancer one. And she said, you'd be a really good Jewish big brother. And I became a big brother mentor to this one young 10-year-old named Ian. Now, you've had a lot more scale than I have. But Ian, I am telling you that I've, he's now part of my family. My daughter calls him Uncle Ian. He has a son. And he's a, a very successful attorney now. He made something of his life. And he, he grew up in, in uh, poverty, real poverty. And I will tell you that. People are always like, Howard, you did so much uh, for Ian. I was like, oh, my God, you have no idea how much Ian did for me and my family um, to show me, you know, how to actually build a human and mm -hmm. build a human with values. And um, th this is this is why, Maggie, I just I tell you that um, you walk the walk, you talk the talk. But this is where you're telling people to try to pull this giving currency out. And you're trying to tell people to find what's inside of them. And um, that's not easy to do. But um, I hope people are listening. I really do. I really hope people are listening to you because just your raw emotion that you expressed here today, it just means you care and, and you care and it's bigger than you. And, um, and you're so humble. Um, I want you to kind of finish and, and tell people uh, before we get, you know, and wrap it up a little bit and tell people how to get in touch with you and what you're doing now. Share people kind of what your hopes, what your hopes are. So my why, and this is something that I help people do. My why is to use my voice to create an impact through inspiration so that I can make a big difference in the lives of other people. My greater why is to help others use their voice through speaking because I'm a motivational speaker, so they can make a difference in their world, thus the ripple effect. And so now uh, I'm not only speaking internationally in all types of stages across the country and the world, but I'm also teaching and coaching people how to do it as well. And um, I, I do it through Speaker Mastery. We just launched uh, Speaker Mastery about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, they can go to uh, joinspeakermastery.com. And they'll be able to join the Facebook group there. 
and I give trainings every Monday night. Uh, they can also go to maggiecook.com, Maggie with one G, and you can see me speaking live on stages. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm on social media everywhere. <laughs> so they you can are. also find me there. And uh, that's what I'm doing. And I'm so passionate about making a difference and helping others use their voice. Because trust me, when I was growing up, I couldn't use my voice. And now I have an opportunity and I'm making 110% sure that I use it and I share it for, for a good cause. Maggie, I, I, I want to tell you that just spending a few minutes with me and my audience is uh, the fuel that I, I will use to, to carry forward and, and, and spread our like message of, uh, of shining brightly and making the world a better place one person at a time, one day at a time, and we can do it. And so I'm going to put on my sunglasses here for those just listening. And Maggie, you are a shining light, okay, to everyone. And I am, I'm in line. I, I'm your disciple. I'm going to follow on. I'm going to do what I can do to, to um, uh, teach what you teach and, um, and make this world a better place. And I just, I am grateful. I am blessed and I'm lucky to know you. And I, I just love what you're doing. And, and I hope people will really take the time to listen and uh, and take positive action towards uh, finding their purpose, finding their why, and making making their themselves and others and the communities a better place. So thank you for being here today. And just uh, one more time, um, your website, uh, your book, your your speaking. So and I'm going to put it in the show notes, but just give everyone uh, the, how to get in touch. Yes, MaggieCook.com, Maggie with one G. My book is Mindful Success. You can find it in the website. You can find Speaker Mastery on the website as well. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming on Shining Brightly and we'll shine together. And um, just, uh, I feel very honored to, to know you. Thank you. Thank Likewise, you. You're, you inspire me too. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Well, this is uh, one of the most important, passionate episodes of Shining Brightly to date. And so Howard Brown, and uh, you can find me at shiningbrightly.com. And uh, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shining Brightly with me, Howard Brown. Come interact with me at shiningbrightly.com. And remember, keep on shining.